Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Paul M., Cindy W., and Dave V. Returning to the show today is Scott Treblecock, President and CEO of Core Mining, a California-focused project developer and explorer advancing the Imperial Gold Project in Imperial County, California, and the Long Valley Gold Project in Mono County, California. The company also has exploration projects in British Columbia. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol K-O-R-E, and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol K-O-R-E-F. Scott, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Well, Scott, what are you up to? Uh, where are you at? Uh, how are you surviving in COVID? Let's start with that. Yeah, I'm up here in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I think we've uh, got a fairly strict local regime on on COVID. so. You know, we've had a little bit of flexibility to try and keep life a little bit sane. You know, there's a few people we're still able to ski and do some outdoor activities to keep a keep the sanity as the rain pours down here in Vancouver. I think in the in the business of core mining, uh, COVID certainly has had impact on our on our business in California, where we've got two development projects, and it's uh, it's been a tough year engaging with governments and agencies. Although we have made some significant milestones. Um, we certainly would love to be doing more stuff face-to-face -face and meeting with uh, various people, but uh, it is what it is, and we're we're making our way, and things are overall uh, really good. Got to be happy to be in the precious metal business at uh, at this point in the economic cycle. You know, it's it's interesting the the different responses of different countries. You know, we've seen some places that are literally COVID-free, and other places that have kind of had a, a mixed bag of results and some places that have just been a complete disaster and while people definitely need to be prudent about uh, being out there and taking precautions uh, we certainly don't require you to come on smith weekly discussions and wear a mask while you're talking to me virtually so that's a good thing <laughs> yes yes thank you thank you for that <laughs> uh well look high level views on the gold market here scott and just let me couple that with something i just thought about you know folks have kind of criticized the price of gold for you know, we have all these tailwinds, we have uh, supply side issues, we have environmental issues with uh, new deposits, new developments, we have old stuff that's coming off. And then we have all this money printing and these uh, wild economic finance times where things like Bitcoin run and, and people are moving out of the dollar, people are moving out of bank accounts and going into the markets. But yet gold is still really just a small rounding error in the big scheme. What's your thoughts on the gold market here, Scott? And do you think we're headed higher and do you think this is really just the start and, and gold will start to perform? Yeah, 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 great debates. You know, we've had had a big discussion about this at our, our board strategy and planning sessions, you know, over the last uh, three months as we've gone through sort of planning for core going forward. And, you know, obviously think about this every day and follow a lot of, a lot of the pundits. I think internally, myself and the company strongly believe we're in the early innings of the gold market for the various reasons you summarized very well um you know the constant printing of, of money the 
you know, the, I just can't imagine how much I'm in debt because of uh, Mr. Trudeau's actions over <laughs> and how my kids are ever going to pay that off without some form of inflationary, you know, reduction of, of that debt or bankrupting the country. You know, all those things just say that, you know, things like alternate currencies like Bitcoin, like gold um, are going to attract investment. You know, that's going to come in ebbs and flows. So, you're, you know, but I think overall we're in a good, long precious metal cycle here that's you know got eventually you know match some of these economic policies macro we're seeing around the world and um i thought i thought the covid disruption would sort of blow us through 2000 bucks easily um so perhaps there's uh giving some people some pause but you know alternative forms of investment will attract more and more capital here as that risk level continues to amp up so i'm really excited to position myself in precious metals right now yeah, I think that uh, there's an effort to put the lid on things as much as possible here. But as we've seen, you know, new administration coming into the U.S., that's still important to the global uh, stage. And if they were able to ramp up the printing press and bring in a few extra printing presses, and, and as the uh, Fed chairs have said, you know, they just print it digitally. So if that's the case, then I think we're moving higher here. And there seems to be no restrictions on the amount of dilution that we're going to experience going forward here if you hold the paper currencies. well. Let's get into core here. Spin out transaction recently announced, Chorus Gold, separating the California assets, uh, obviously keeping core focused in California, but Chorus is taking over for the British Columbian uh, assets. What's the thought process here, Scott, and what does the pro forma structure look like? Chorus is, uh, is, I think, an exciting new company. In 2020, if we just sort of step back a bit, you know, core went into 2020 with a portfolio of assets as you mentioned we've uh, in 2020 did peas and our two california projects and we've really set up those california projects as a true development company so imperial is moving into mine permitting in 2021 uh long valley's a few years behind and if you trace those forward to development cores got line of sight to almost 350,000 ounces per year of gold production as those two projects move into production. So, you know, as core grows in market cap, we expect we'll attract more and more institutional money and people are gonna be waiting and seeing their shares appreciate on de-risking of that development pipeline. And that means that, you know, going out and raising capital to do early stage exploration in British Columbia might uh, cause an eyebrow raiser too from, you know, those institutions that are thinking, well, why aren't you putting that money into your California projects? Does that mean they're no good? The short story is I've not seen a situation where gold companies or mining companies are well valued in multiple assets. The market seems to demand a very clear story. And that clear story for core is the development pipeline of gold projects in California. In 2020, however, we kind of bucked the trend a bit and spent money across all three of the assets, British Columbia, Long Valley, and Imperial. And we had some great success up in British Columbia with the, with the drill bit. We've got a whole bunch of holes pending. And we also went out and staked and did some land deals to secure a thousand square kilometer uh, uh, land package around um, our drilling, our projects we're drilling. And you know, I think we were thinking, well, what do we do in 2021? And then along came a Cisco Development Corp. So um, we didn't really foresee it happening as it did, but I think it was uh, it was fortuitous for us that 
um, a Cisco Royalty Corp spun out its Barkerville asset, a couple other assets into a separate company, a Cisco Development Corp led by Sean Rusin. They raised 300 million bucks and they are going to be doing a ton of work in the north part of what's called the Caribou Gold District in BC, where their projects are. They got 5 million ounces. They got 12 drill rigs turning. They're a marketing machine. And Core is the second largest landholder in the Caribou. And those assets are what's going in to create Keras. So I think Keras has a great opportunity to capitalize on that emergence of the Caribou Gold District in BC, the work we did in 2020, and be a great new company. So sort of all those factors wrapped together caused the board to make the decision to spin the BC assets to our shareholders. I think it is a really strong, independent, standalone um, and value creation story for a core shareholder. And do you guys plan to keep everything in-house or is there an intent to possibly JV with nearby folks like you had mentioned? In addition to that, can you just talk about the pro forma structure real quick, Scott, as far as you know, what shares does core retain and what shares went to shareholders, et cetera? Correct. So we're doing a 100% spin out. Core is not going to retain any interest uh, in in Keras. Uh, you know, they they're they're different stories. It doesn't make a lot of sense for a you know California U.S. gold development story in core mining to own a, an equity interest in Keras, a BC Explorer. To me, that's just an overhang, and it's the same shareholder base. So we said we're splitting it at 100% Keras. Uh, we'll start out with core shareholder base because obviously it's being dividended out from from core. Uh, it'll it'll have its own independent CEO. It'll have an independent board. We're going to share CFO and some back office services to keep costs down. Hopefully, sit in the same office. But we truly want it to be an independent company. I think it's going to be a, a a big winner. So core will stay with. It's got 106 million shares out. We're kind of doing two for one. So Keras will start with 53 million shares out. Uh, with a plan to list that, get that company listed in Q2 this year. And the JV bit there, just talk about your guys' thought process as far as, you know, maybe farming some stuff out or just keeping all assets in-house, including the good ones. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, we're going to keep everything uh, 100%. You know, we're in a, as as we talked about the gold price, I think we're in the early stages of a gold market here. There is access to capital. And in those situations, you know, you want to keep your company as clean as possible. And core is kind of as clean as it gets. Management owns 38%. Eric Sprott owns 26%. The public float is reasonably liquid. So the share, so the share structure is uh, really tight. Um, and we own 100% of all of our assets. We don't have any, you know, tough royalty or streaming deals on anything. So keeping the company nice and clean to allow that uh, pure value creation from your your work programs is is how we want to keep the company. Now that sounds great and good on you for putting out all the shares to existing core shareholders. I think that's really a smart move and really good. So back to core, where are we on capital structure here in regards to shares out? Major shareholders, you just covered that, but go into a little more detail. Yeah. And then of course, cash on hand at this point, Scott. Yeah, exactly. So core has 106 million shares out basic 117 fully diluted we've got uh, 7.7 million options to management and the board and we've got 3.5 million warrants but those warrants are all with eric sprott so the only warrants outstanding on the company um, are 100 owned by eric eric owns 26 percent of course so he's a control person so he's effectively not liquid on any of that stuff so i think that keeps uh core's share structure really tight so there's 38 million 
shares in the share structure that trade in the uh, public float of the company. Those shares trade on the uh, the V in Canada and the uh, OTCQX in the states. Um, we've got today at at the at December first, we had six million bucks. You know, we're probably at uh, five and a half today of cash in the company and about 160 million uh, market cap. Got some burgeoning uh, analyst coverage. So we've got uh, some growing coverage from the Toronto street as people see core, you know, starting to, you know, get on the radar screen where it, it, it's meaningful, you know, the, to, to the Toronto street. And hopefully that continues in 2021 as we try and close the valuation gap with our peers, because we're still the smallest, cheapest US uh, gold developer out there. And talk about the warrants just briefly. I'm assuming all those are in the money that Eric has. Yeah, correct. So he, so just a little, little just back backstory on on Eric. So he's come into Core on three separate investments. His first investment in, I think it was August of 2019, was no warrants, just straight uh, equity. He came in again in, I think it was uh, March of 2020. Again, straight equity, no warrants. I thought that was a great win. Uh, negotiating with him and then he bought even more shares on the market told us he wanted you know to get to 25 percent of the company so his final placement was in may of this year and he'd been you know at that point he brought the stock you know between his network and continuing to buy shares we'd appreciated from oh i think he started at 45 cents and we we're at a buck so on the buck raising and so at a dollar per share he did get uh warrants at a buck 50 and we're currently trading at a buck sixty, so his warrants are um, just slightly in the money right now. Plus, he probably cleaned up during March COVID low 2020 at 12, 13 cents. Looks like intraday. Very interesting stuff there, and good to see the the share roster is very strong. Good strong hands there, and uh, yeah. certainly has paid off really well for the company. Yeah, um, we've had some good good liquidity. So you know, we uh, you're right. We got to a. I think I bought some stock at a buck. 12 in uh, October or November, so it was a little little dip there to buy. But we've, you know, I think we've had good, strong, you know, we rolled out a lot of the founding shareholders of the company, a lot of guys who are, you know, made money and 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 come out. And that's good. We've got a good, strong shareholder base now that have bought shares between a buck 12 and a buck 80, and they want to see us take this company to two or three bucks. And that's what we got to do in uh, in 2021. Right. And just talk maybe a little bit here with with what's coming down the pipe for 2021, as far as you know your guys's GNA costs overall cash burn here with where you are with cash on hand. How much runway do you see is left uh, on the capital side before you guys are looking at the next capital raise, Scott? Yeah, that's a good good question. So you know a lot of all exploration spend is discretionary. So when we think about uh, budgeting and capital allocation inside core. You, you know, the thing that we have to finance is our development team in California. So our chief operating officer, Mark LaDuke, has hired a full-time team that's based in an office in Imperial County, California. I think there's four professionals that are primarily environment and community relations and government relations. And, you know, the, the heavy weight of team is because we're moving a mine into permitting. It's most important that we engage with stakeholders and educate uh, stakeholders about our, our projects. That's the focus of the team. And we have an array of consultants around them doing you know technical and engineering work as we work towards preparing a plan of operations for permitting the project. So financing that is use of capital number one. 
you know, that burn rate, including our corporate overhead, I think it's about 8 million bucks a year. So, you know, the cash in the bank, if we just sort of went from today forward, we could keep funding our full permitting activities and corporate overhead into, you know, Q3 of this year without much worry, um, but we couldn't explore. Then we have an aspiration to do a lot of exploration inside core in 2021. We're permitting drilling at both Imperial and Long Valley. We'd expect to have a Long Valley permit in Q1 and an Imperial permit mid-year. So on the back of getting those permitting, I think that's a good reason to raise capital because cores, you know, we've not taken the strategy like some of our peer companies of raising capital simply because we could or markets were open. We turned down several bought deals earlier this year with people that just wanted us to load up on cash. You know, and some companies say, oh, when the markets are open, take your money and, and load up on cash. And we said, no, we're going to raise money as we have a use of funds. And I think when we get an exploration permit, we will have a good use of funds and we'll um, tap the market to, you know, find, and if the market wants to finance that, we'll get more capital into the company. So I'd see us raising money mid-year. That sounds like that's the way it probably should go there, Scott. And, and if you guys had to extend out and market conditions were pretty poor, if we have a liquidity event like we saw in, in 2020, you guys could possibly tighten up and, and carry yourselves uh, definitely through Q3. So, yeah, correct. You can always go back. I mean, in a company of this size, you can always do that, you know, that $5 million raise to sort of, you know, keep the lights on and, and, and get through another, you know, six or eight months looking for another better point in the market. You know, I don't think we're in that kind of capital market. I think there's going to be windows of excitement in precious metals, you know, in half one here uh, going into this year. And, you know, we'll we'll opportunistically raise capital when we've got a good use of funds. And I think we're going to show the market we got a great use of funds in core in 2021. Well, let's talk about Imperial specifically, and then let's move on to Long Valley. What key items at Imperial are planned for 2021? So primary objective in 2021 is to get Imperial into the formal permitting process with our regulator, which is the uh, federal agency, the Bureau of Land Management, which reports up to the Department of in Interior in the States, because we're, our project in Imperial is 100% on federal land. Um, now there is a significant interaction with the, with the county so California law comes into play through the county, but our, you know, we got to move into permitting through the BLM. So we're preparing a, you know, a telephone book kind of application called a plan of operations, which takes our PEA mine plan, wraps all of the engineering around it. It'll also wrap uh, environmental, cultural, and, uh, you know, air, water, dust monitoring information so that the BLM can complete the environmental impact assessment on our mine plan. So we're currently undergoing environmental baseline and plan of operation preparation. We will be making that submission in the middle of 2021, right after we get our permit on the current plan of operation, which is the drilling one that we're currently processing with the BLM. So the back half of 2021, there will be multiple milestones on permitting Imperial to become a mine, submission of the plan of operations, then we'll strike an agreement with the BLM called a memorandum of understanding, which is how you're gonna basically pay for the BLM's costs to process your EIS, um, followed by approval of that plan of operations late in uh, 2021. And then on the exploration side, again, at Imperial, we expect to get the permit mid-year, and that'll allow us to turn on a drill 
and we are permitting over 150 drill pads in that permit and we would expect to turn a drill on subject to having capital in q3 and not turn it off for almost two years given the amount of opportunities we have so we're going to start with greenfield exploration we're going to move to near mine resource expansion then into the technical work that support a feasibility study and hopefully you know subject again to getting that the capital we'd like to see that drill turn for two years straight and just continue to generate you know excitement about uh, the imperial project let's talk long valley in a minute but uh yeah. with the permit and so forth you should be able to turn a drill year-round obviously in that location and you'll be doing infill drilling exploration work on a couple different targets uh from what i understand is that correct yeah correct so at, at the imperial project you know one of the first things we did with one of eric's first investments in 2019 was we staked 28 kilometers of trend that connects the imperial deposit to the operating mesquite mine which is about nine miles to the west and going to the east to an, an old closed mine called pacacho now these are all uh, heap leach, open pit, at surface resources. There's a total of about 12 million ounces contained in those three deposits, and they were all discovered by outcrop. So CORE went and staked all the ground in between, which is all under, we believe, thin sediment uh, cover and has not been explored for that reason. You know, un unlike in more mature gold camps, you know, like in the Kalgoorlie in Australia, They've done lots of work exploring undercover to find those, you know, tougher to find deposits. That work's never happened at Imperial and in Imperial County. So we've started that work. We've done uh, geophysics to look under the soil. We've done a lot of prospecting and soil sampling in the Arroyos. And you'll start seeing probably two or three more news releases in uh, half one of 2020 as we start to um, crank out some of those, uh, those exciting uh, drill targets. And that's to make new discoveries. Like these are whole new deposits, not related to Imperial um, between Mesquite, Imperial and Picacho. And then the drill will eventually move closer over to Imperial where you'll be doing step out drilling to try and increase the resource as well as, you know, some infill, geotech, met, all the other technical work you need to do in, uh, in the drilling in 2022. What's the thought process with expanding the deposit both at Imperial and attaching these potential satellite deposits? One, to get the mine life up and also to potentially improve the production profile at Imperial sufficiently to really attract that kind of senior mid-tier interest even further. You got it, right? I mean, you know, the, the PEA for Imperial produces 150,000 ounces of gold, but, you know, it's an eight-year mine life. So you could either spread that out at 100,000 ounces for a longer period, or you can make new discoveries and extend the mine life, which is exactly what happened at Mesquite. You know, Mesquite started as a 2 million ounce deposit in 1983 and went into production in, I think it was 88 and 24 years later, something like that. Uh, anyways, 25 years of operating later, it's a 9 million ounce series of deposits. And we think Imperial is likely to go the same way. So I think showing even without drilling them out to resource stage, that blue sky upside will really cement the project at that mid-tier level. And I think creates one potential outcome for core shareholders, which would be a takeout at some point in this cycle. Yeah, I would like to see it 12 plus years and then also something, a profile that's, that's around 200,000, maybe a little bit more would really get it going. And the reason I bring that up is we look at it and we say, 
if there's enough potential for other million plus ounces through expiration, expansion of the imperial deposit, potential satellite deposits at Mesquite East. These deposits all run along kind of a 20, 30 kilometer corridor that reach from Mesquite. And so what's wrong with a good haul road to these Mesquite facilities? That's my question. Yeah, correct. I think there are, there's definitely real synergies with with Mesquite, given they have a large, you know, we scoped the Imperial mine with the exact same class of equipment and shovel as they currently use at Mesquite for a lot of reasons, because there's people that know how to maintain and operate and and plan mining just down the road. And there's a lot of reasons why there would be some really strong synergies with, with the Mesquite operation and Imperial. You know, so we're gonna pursue as best we can our own standalone plan and you know, really we wanna give ourselves a runway to get as many of these expiration holes as we can in before uh, contemplating any kind of sale of the company because we wanna give our shareholders potential exposure to some of that exploration. So, you know, it's always a balance between um, how how long do you, um, you know, keep things going at core before you physically try and attract, a, you know, some kind of, uh, consolidation because I think a, a consolidation with Mesquite at some point is logical. Well, yeah, it's absolutely logical. And, you know, Equinox has some time there and they have some potential, but the bottom line of it is your claims butt up right against Mesquite limits right now, from what I can tell. They so, do, yep. And the topography of the corridor is amenable to a haul road. Yeah. Yep. Flat as a pancake. You know, you can see the, uh, you can see the heap leach pad from standing on the Imperial outcrop. So, um, Yes, it's all very, very doable. And, you know, I think Imperial County had, I think it was five operating heat leach gold mines, you know, in the 1990s. And when the, uh, with low gold price and the backfill law, you know, really drove a lot of the companies out of California through the real, you know, environmental push in California in the uh, 90s and 2000s. And I think you're seeing the gold industry reemerge in California because the pricing is now such that you can, adhere to these very stringent California laws and still make good returns, you know, mining gold. So you're seeing the gold sector return to California and hopefully uh, cores the vanguard of that. Yeah. And California is going to need everything they can get at this point. Their economics are in shambles and people are leaving because they're tired of things that are happening in the state. So, you know, they need all they can get. So it's time to revert back to what built the place. And that was built off of really mining and a lot of other industries that started out. And, you know, the other point too is, is, you know, it's so much easier and I'm not saying you guys can't do it. I think you can, and you're in a beautiful, one of the best, if not the best counties in California to do it is permit a new mine. You're doing it right next to one that sits there. But in addition to that, I would just point out that it's much easier to expand a mine than it is to permit a new one. And so I know that Equinox pays attention. They, I'm sure you guys maybe even are uh, talking, but uh, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, you guys are continuing to delineate a nice deposit and potentially some satellite deposits. So this yeah. uh, Imperial project looks quite good. Uh, absolutely. You know, we want to we want to get as many of those exploration holes in there so we can create that uh, that blue sky upside and and move forward if Equinox wants to come along at some point and acquire it to combine with their Mesquite operation. You know, that's a that's a shareholder decision down the track, but I think we want to make sure we get our shareholders as many uh, many shots of that exploration as we can get ahead of that. Certainly. And where you guys are today, it's still, I mean, obviously you guys aren't as cheap as you used to be, but it's still very viable and, and you guys are certainly not expensive in my view. Equinox is a, 
$4 billion company now with Premier maybe going up even more. At some point, we're going to be a rounding error to, you know, 150,000 ounce mine at Mesquite is still not an insignificant operation, even for a $4 billion market cap uh, Equinox. So um, I still think there's some strong logic why that asset's important to them. And um, at some point, if they want to come along and uh, extend their mine life with a combination, um, hopefully that'll be to the benefit of core shareholders and Equinox will then have a great uh, long mine to base their continued growth on. So, Yeah, this would be great to see the production profile increase and this would obviously do the job and makes a lot of sense to expand an existing operation and most likely the easiest path of resistance with California to get there. Talk about Long Valley for a moment. Let's talk similar lines. Talk about the location first and you know, are there any existing mining operations in this county? I'm not as much familiar with Mono County, but maybe talk about the, the local area, maybe operating uh, facilities that are still there now and what key items are planned for 2021 at this project. Yeah, yeah, great. I'll start on the uh, on the location. So Monty County, Mono County, California is tucked up right against the Nevada border. So you're effectively on the Walker Lane trend out of Nevada that crosses over into this this part of California as it kind of comes, you know, the, the angled part of California, just, just south of Reno. Um, so you sort of do south of Reno, just to, about nine miles across the Nevada border where this project is located. Uh, you're correct, Mono County does not currently have any industrial scale uh, mining operations other than gravel. So sand and gravel in California, aggregates are um, permitted under the same regime. So the county does have some bureaucracy to manage uh, the aggregate business, but does not have any hard rock, uh, gold, or you know, base metal mining operations currently. That said, the county has a rich history going back to the gold rush. You know, there's a ton of gold mines, particularly um, to the northeast of our Long Valley project. There were several major uh, gold camps that were part of the gold rush. There's all kinds of stuff up in the up in the hills out of the uh, several towns in the county. Um, like everywhere in California, you know, you're always within reasonable distance of a, you know, a federal road or a, a highway and, you know, Long Valley is no different. You can get onto BLM roads from right over top of the project. You know, you can drive there in a pickup truck, you know, from a highway and, you know, from a major airport, you know, within a few hours. So good location to have a project. The land we're on is U.S. Forest Service. So again, federal land. Currently, the deposit area of that land package is a, on a um, cattle lease. So there is a um, farmer that uh, grazes his cattle on the ground. So this is not, even though it's forest service, there's no forest here. This is a, you know, wide open, high, high kind of desert, low vegetation that's, you know, good enough to graze cattle, but only seasonally. Um, the, uh, the deposit is surrounded by a very large exploration area, which, uh, you know, we claimed um, earlier this year that gives us some good exploration upside. So our next steps is just that, you know, this is a very typical PEA stage project. In 2021, we're currently permitting a 15,000 meter drill program to step out and try and uh, show that there's more oxide gold. So the, the heap leachable material um, on strike, this is not new discovery. This is literally just step outs to the north and to the west of the current mineralization. Um, won't be doing dense enough drilling to 
um, declare more resources, but we want to show that that mineralization continues at surface and test the deposit for some deep, deep sulfides. So very much exploration-y, um, have not, you know, not proposed a mine here. We're not moving into permitting. We have not done a lot of uh, local community work yet because we're trying to see what this project can be first. Yeah, sounds like cow pasture and jackrabbit hunting ground. Yeah, that's very true. There's <laughs> shotgun tail casings everywhere, and there's a, you know, in the back half of this property, there's a place, you know, the these Californians go with their machine guns and and heavy weaponry, and there's just there's like shell casings all over the place. And uh, just give you some idea, this is you know rural California. It's about uh, cattle and 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 farming and you know again not not as not as mining friendly as imperial because imperial has operating mines in a, in a much more recent industrial scale mine but a, a, a good solid blue collar uh local community base that um you know we'll uh, we'll see how they respond to a mining proposal you know as we uh, as we move down the exploration path here Definitely looks like an area that is certainly amenable to potential mining operations, given the history and the location. And, you know, we know that, you know, even with Equinox doing uh, Castle Mountain, different county as well, they're in that process and already started operations. So there's, you know, you could say that there's maybe, you know, two to three good counties uh, left in California that are worth anything as far as uh, mining goes. Through, yeah, you got Kern with uh, Soledad Mountain got uh, San Bernardino, which is a huge county with some great opportunities um, where Castle Mountain is. Imperial County is a good one. We'll see how we go in uh, in, in Mono County here. But uh, you know what? You certainly want to be on the you know right side of Sierra Nevada um, and, you know, well away from from any kind of visual impacts. And I think that's the sort of key key recipe for success. Right. We'll talk about the potential here to expand the deposit. You know, just discuss that for a moment. I know the PEA has already indicated, uh, you know, a little bit of an early uh, thought process behind mine life and also the production profile, but along the same lines as Imperial Scott, but what do you see there is potentially to uh, improve that and, and get those numbers up? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing we did on the, on the project was, you know, a, a, as you should, the data was all quite old. So we relogged all the core um did a lot of field work mapping and you know this deposit is is a very thin veneer of gold above an intact you know epithermal gold system and it's probably actually still forming you're in a fairly young geologically anyways uh, crater you're on the sort of middle of a crater and you've seen these hydrothermal fluids come up that's created this gold mineralization in the sort of center of this crater and some faulting you've got lots of you've got actually a about 10 miles to the west of this project, you've got a you know a geothermal energy plant, and it just shows that this is probably still an active <clears throat> epithermal system. So the gold is very thin. The uh, oxide gold we're talking about here is all within 90 meters of surface. That's great because it, you don't have to dig deep pits, so your strip ratio is low. It's easy to backfill, and it's easy to meet again those very high reclamation standards in California because of the shallow nature of the mineralization. Our geophysics and fieldwork showed that there's some, you know, undrilled, very you know, near resource, basically step out targets to the west and to the north of the known mineralization, just following sort of the, the, the fault structures. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, Royal Gold, who originally drilled this project in the 90s, 
basically just stopped the project mid-resource development when the gold price started going down in the late 90s um, and when the backfill law came in in the 2000s and gold was 250 bucks an ounce. Well, they also went on to become a royalty company, but they sold the project and it sat dormant in a junior. So we've kind of just stepped into their shoes and are basically moving back into resource development. So some very obvious targets to try and, you know, our objective would be to double the oxides <clears throat> of the 1.7 million ounces in the project. About a million is pure oxide, about 200,000 ounces of uh, transition and then some sulfides. And really only the transition and oxides matter for uh, heat leach mining. So we'd like to double the oxides. Um, I don't think you're going to get to a 200,000 ounce project here. It's just not that kind of deposit given it's, you know, thin, low-grade heap leach. But you could probably have a good 15-year, 100,000 ounce project. That would be a nice, simple heap leach. And then we'd see how um, the greater exploration goes. We've got um, 16,000 acres of additional land to explore that's unexplored um, to make some, some more discoveries. Again, this pod nature of these deposits. I suspect there's some more gold mineralization in this old caldera and um, try and extend that after you've got a production, but probably a slightly lower production um, amount like than Imperial, but um, I think a great simple mid-tier gold project. Scott, do you see that uh, with both Imperial and Long Valley and obviously the timelines being a little bit different here, staying obviously all this in core mining, uh, it sounds like there's no intent to separate these two assets, but do you see that Imperial could finance an operation at Long Valley? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the capital intensity of both of these projects is very low. I think the, uh, you know, the capital was you know, less than 150 million bucks sorry, 161 million bucks pre-production CapEx at Long Valley. That's easily financeable with cash flow you'd see from a 150,000 ounce gold mine at Imperial. So we do see it as a pipeline of projects. If Core makes it through the, the cycle without being taken out and is heading towards production at Imperial, you'd see this as the next mine going into production. And when you stack those two up, you've got you know a good 250,000 ounce um production base for the company to continue to grow at that point and be a u.s uh, gold producer now we talked as we talked about early do we ever get there you know that's, that'll be a question for m a down the track but uh you know these two projects dovetail well into you know building up uh, a production profile for a, a gold company well, I think at this point, this question is really a question of exploration. What else can you demonstrate? And that, I think if that's done correctly, that's probably the end of the story. And I guess coupling with that too, with the relationships with Mono County and also with Imperial County, what do you think are the biggest challenges here, Scott? Um, and don't say COVID, we've heard that before. <laughs> but what are the biggest challenges, you know, getting these projects into, uh, certainly Imperial into production. What do you see further to really de-risk both of these projects? What do you see kind of as the big challenge that's in your head here? Yeah, without a doubt, it is getting local support, right? Because at Imperial, number one is absolutely permitting. You know, we've got, let's call it half a billion Canadian in value to unlock by showing that, you know, Imperial is permittable in this location in California to ensure that you can fend off the inevitable, you know, NGO challenges that come to every mining project and quite frankly, every parking lot, solar farm, wind farm, every use of land in California or the, 
you know, United States in general will face some kind of opposition from some kind of NGO or community group or something. The way you counter that is by having strong local support. The people that live near and the stakeholders around this project have to want it in, you know, in vast majority. And we need to generate, and we call it the coalition of support. We need to generate a strong coalition of support in Imperial County. I think we're well down the path to do that. We've spent most of our effort over the last 12 months because the engineering of this project is so simple. Most of our effort and most of our team hired down there is about community and government relations. We've had multiple levels of political um, politicians out to the project. We've been educating both the local communities and stakeholders and everybody we can in Imperial County about this project. And we've seen some good, strong support. And we got to keep fostering that support so that, you know, that support politicians can stand up and say, my constituency overall wants this project. And that is what the political will is what gets you through the permitting process in the United States. So building political will in Imperial County, the most important thing for Imperial Gold. At Long Valley, uh, biggest, biggest risk is exploration. You know, I think to make, to put Long Valley on kind of the list of, mid-tier U.S. gold projects, I thought your question was very germane in that, you know, how can you get it to a good mid-tier level where you've got well over 100,000 ounces of production for a reasonable amount of time? It's all about the drill bit. So Long Valley, you know, the, the big risk is, you know, are we going to be successful finding any more oxide mineralization? Because I don't think you're going to bother permitting a mine in California that doesn't have enough gold mine life and scale to bother going through that uh, rigorous process. What do you see really as, you know, looking at the potential suitors out there, you know, these projects, you know, they're on the cusp of certainly gathering some more attention based on how you guys go with exploration here and further delineation of existing deposits. But what do you see as kind of a, a mid-tier profile that you think that really would like this? Or do you really see that these projects could become something that, that a major would start to look at? What's your uh, thoughts on that? Absolute, Frank. I don't see these types of deposits generating enough gold or scale that you're going to see interest from you know newmont barrack or the 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 what people describe as the majors um these are solid mid-tier projects they're going to be of interest to the heckla's coors um Agnico's, all the other sort of array of gold companies in the united states and canada and quite frankly, even the South Americans, which are, you know, diversifying, you know, over the rest of North America. Um, the project's going to fit very well in that camp. Even Australians, I think, are starting, you know, the Australians are pretty big in their britches and running out of gold in Australia are pushing. They've certainly pushed into Canada, certainly kicking some tires at some of the Nevada guys. Um, and Nevada's pretty picked over and pretty expensive. So I think we're going to we're going to look pretty attractive as we go forward here with a you know, good solid 150,000 ouncer at Imperial with hopefully a, a longer longer mine life with the real bit and a second project in the pipeline that uh, just gives a bit of that blue sky. I think, uh, I think we're gonna be very attractive to mid-tier gold miners uh, as we de-risk. Well, Scott, for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, market cap sitting around 180 million Canadian here, what would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? I think there's lots of value to create uh, inside core. We've got our cheapest peer is almost 300 million bucks in uh, Integra Gold. Uh, the rest of the peer group, 
uh, are in the 300 to 500 million market cap range. And it's our job in management and the board to get CORE's valuation there. That's what I expect in CORE. For near-term ownership, you're also going to, I think, getting those Keras shares and access to the rights offering we plan to finance Keras is a really exciting opportunity as well. And I think you're going to end up, by owning CORE today, it's kind of a two-for-one. I think you're going to have two great companies in 2021 on their own path and can generate a, a lot more value like we did in 2020. That sounds great. And I would encourage folks to take a look at that potential offering there and, and how they can get shares uh, via CORE as well. And uh, Scott, best way for investors to reach out to the company? Just reach out to us. Uh, come to go to our website, uh, coremining.com. There's a, send us an email, give us a phone call. You know, we love talking to shareholders. We got a nice tight register and uh, give us a call. Well, Scott, thanks for coming back on the show. Keep up the good work over there at CORE and hoping to speak again. Great. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Uh, all, all the best in, uh, in 2021.